so for quite a while now, actual going back into June, I think we started this. We're just kind of, I wouldn't even call it a series. We're just hanging in a space where God has got us, that we're calling H2O, and it's everything about what God wants to tell us when he starts talking about water. When God starts talking about water, he's, he's, he's not talking about the surf report or whatever. He's, he's got things he wants to show us and reveal to us. And it's, it's one of those permeating themes in Scripture. And I want to um, revisit something that we've... It's already come up a number of times in the last few months, this, this particular Scripture. But I want to dig a little deeper in it today. It's from John chapter 7. And <clears throat> we'll just read it through, shall we? Um, it's just, just a few verses from John chapter 7, starting verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, he cried this out, projected it into the crowd, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. We can read over that pretty quickly and just kind of get a general gist of it. Oh, like Jesus is just putting out an invitation to come and be refreshed in him or whatever. And we can too quickly miss actually thinking about what is he inviting us to? What is he declaring over us? This um, festival that is mentioned at the start of this little paragraph was one of Israel's, one of the major Jewish festivals that were happening. And at the end of the festival, this particular one, they had seven days where part of the ceremony, every day for seven days, there was an actual water pouring ceremony. And this is one of those points where Jesus is saying, see that, see that picture not picture, picture. <laughs> something you hang on your wall, not something you pour wine from. Um, see that image? That's about me. That's about me. Said so you don't. If we stop at the image in the festival, you're missing it. If you're really thirsty, come to me. This particular little, this few sentences is the topic of a lot of discussion by scholars and Bible translators. It's, it's interesting when you look into it. Sometimes um, guys who, who like that's their job, it's their world scholarly debate. <laughs> they like to discuss things. Um, but I, I do thank God for scholars who do the hard work of digging into the meat and the detail and, and keeping, it, keeping our translation pure and accurate. But this particular one, 
is the subject of a lot of discussion because there are things that are difficult to resolve in it. <clears throat> Firstly, because the Greek language, uh, it has many, many, many great features that help us, and one of those things I might discuss later, but um, there are some things that it also doesn't have, one of which is punctuation. <laughs> which makes for interesting translation. Later Greek, as, it, as the language developed, they began to add certain punctuation things that let you know when something was a quotation or when it was the end of a sentence or a question, etc. But earlier Greek didn't have that. So this was written without punctuation. And that, this is one of those situations where it can actually give a different twist. Like, where do you break the sentence? When Jesus says... Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, whoever believes in me. None of that has punctuation. Yeah, just that. So whoever believes in me, this is NIV, they've actually put that as part of the next sentence. That's a translator's job to sort of figure out how do we bring this into English. Sometimes it's not so straightforward. So there's ambiguity. Is Jesus saying, let anyone who is thirsty come, come to me? Full stop. Whoever believes in me, drink. Now, in this particular case, the debate is kind of, it's an academic game in one sense because the meaning doesn't change a whole lot. Jesus is putting out an invitation if you're coming to him, clearly believing is part of the action. Yeah? Drinking and believing, are, one is the evidence of the other. Yeah? The fruit of it, maybe. So that's clear. If you're thirsty in your soul, and clearly he's not talking about if you just physically... In, you know, you haven't been keeping your water quotient up today, you haven't had your two litres or whatever. He's not saying that. He's talking about the spirit. He's talking about the soul. You're in a man. Because then he, he goes on to talk about from within. He's talking about what happens within. Literally, um, the translation is from their belly or from his belly. But, <clears throat> but the important thing is the invitation. But the second thing is actually perhaps of more interest to translators and to theologians because Jesus says something that he claims is scripture and no one can find where he got it. At least in that wording. You know, so when, when, when we look through the New Testament, we see time and time again where the apostles or Jesus, um, the authors, they're actually quoting Old Testament scripture. This is the foundation. The gospel didn't begin in Matthew chapter 1. The gospel began at the moment of creation. And it's woven throughout. That's what the apostle Peter writes. He says, all the prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit as God gave them a vision far off of 
what his plan was. And so the gospel is woven throughout scripture. And I actually am pretty convinced because it's, it's an interesting thing to read commentaries about this particular verse and see people tie themselves in knots trying to figure out, well, what scripture was he referring to? Was it Isaiah this or Hosea that? Or I actually feel like Jesus is actually doing what we so often do ourselves and kind of give a summary statement of something that is a major theme of scripture and he uses the and and you can pick it apart scripture is singular it's it's a singular noun it's not a plural he's not saying in scriptures have said and this is part of what people get twisted up around but but scripture is singular isn't it the bible I don't say the Bibles. Do you ever call it? I mean, Bible just means book, right? Do we call it the books? We actually could. And, and one, of, one of the labels for part of Jewish scripture was the writings. It's a collection. But he uses the singular, and, and I think that's cool because I think he's talking about scripture tells us this. But the other thing is the location of the promise. Because rivers is most definitely plural. And people struggle with that. We, we actually find it's real easy to think of Jesus as being the source of the river of life. Yeah? Anybody struggle with that one? No? Good. Jesus is the source of the Holy Spirit whom has been... Well, I should be careful there because, again, theological debates. I see Brooke smiling because she knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) Did the Holy Spirit come from the Father or from Jesus? Well, yes. We can have a fun chat about that if you want. Um, but mysteries in God, right? <laughs> mysteries in the Trinity. Mysteries of God revealing himself to us. But the location of the river matters. The location of the rivers matters. And so I, I went on a search because I want to know the truth of this as much in my life as, a, as I want for you to know it. And, you know, I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. I like to say, oh, they couldn't find it. I wonder what's... Let's go digging. Let me tell you what I found. And, I mean, I was trying to picture whether, whether I could convey to you guys what it's like for me when I start preparing a, a sermon or a message or even just thinking deeply on a topic in Scripture. It's kind of like a crazy web. <laughs> with connections from here to there and everywhere. Anyway, so just hold, hold that thing, in, that image in your mind, when, because it's hard to pin it down to a 25-minute, 30-minute, 40-minute sermon, right? And I'll try and be quick. I could go on and explore all kinds of things on this. And the hard thing is that within this context, I can't. Right, But here's something I found that was like 
a wonder, a fresh gem, a fresh truth pulled out that I had never found before. Isaiah chapter 32 begins like this. See, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers in King James or New King James princes will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Each one. Princes, rulers, plural, under who? The king. The king who reigns in righteousness. Who are we talking about? We are talking about Jesus. This is Sunday school. Uh, If you grew up in Sunday school, you'll understand that. The answer was always Jesus, God, or the devil, right? Um, (laughs) But we are talking about him. And he makes a declaration over us. Now, let's just, let's, I will confront the controversy here. A lot of people would put this scripture into a future kingdom context. A lot of people would say, yes, that will happen in the, the glorious millennium of the reign of Christ. I'm sure in one view, of this and one dimension of the truth of it, absolutely, that's fine. Don't have a quarrel with that. However, if we see it in the future, we miss what God is saying in this scripture. And I debated whether to keep going down the rest of the passage, but it gets a bit bogged down. But basically, the rulers to whom he is talking about I mean, let's face it, if you are a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm, what is happening? A storm. This is not a time of peace. This is a time where people are in pain. If you are a stream of water in the desert, where are you? You're in the desert. If you're in a thirsty land, you're in a land that needs the Holy Spirit. And I love that I can be a shadow of the great rock. Last week, as Caroline was preaching, she talked about Moses striking the rock in the desert. The first time was God's command. Why? Because it's an image of Christ being struck on our behalf, to provide the water. The second time, he got it wrong out of his human frailty, out of his anger. He let anger get the better of him, frustration. And he actually marred the image whereby you could speak to the rock. Lord, we need your water. And instead he struck it again. That's a, you can listen to that online now. It's online. Go to the website.
But now we can be the shadow of that great rock in a place that needs shelter, needs shade and protection. Jesus is reigning now. Sometimes we wrestle with that because we see, what what do we see? We see a storm. We see a spiritual desert. We see a dry land. But he has declared that we are rulers under his kingship. He is the king of kings. The Lord of lords. It's his name. Well, if he's the king of kings, who are his first rank of subjects? Kings. They are rulers. Ephesians chapter 1 says that God raised, when, when Paul is pouring out his heart for the, the, the Ephesian church, for the believers there, and he says, this is my prayer for you, that you would know this, that you would know the hope to which he's called you. His incomparably, incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted, he being God, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Christ is reigning now, he is the king. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. What? I don't get that. I mean, I have to... The language is even difficult for me. Like Paul wrote some long sentences, right? (laughs) He got verbose. But God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is the fullness of him. You are rulers if you are believing in him, if you come to him as a thirsty person and saying, I need the water that you can give, what do you become? You become one of the rivers that he pours out into a thirsty land. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Help us to become everything that you want us to be. Everything. Ephesians chapter 2, as Paul builds this magnificent letter, he says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We live in heaven. Our life, what does Paul say in Colossians, I think it is, 
Don't quote me on that. It could be Galatians. But the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Said the old me is dead. He was crucified. I, am cru- I was crucified with Christ. But now I am seated with him in heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus, not apart from Christ, not on my own merit, not because of anything I have done, but because of his grace. Chapter 1, our guys group on Thursday night, we started looking at this letter. And just the opening verses, just again and again and again and again, in so many different ways, what God has done, what he did for us through Christ, before we even... We're aware. We are called to reign with him. And part, part of what messes, up, messes us up is our human implanting of what ruling and reigning looks like. Our experience of life in the world so damages what we think of when we think of ruling reigning and yet this is where we are at 1 Corinthians 15 25 says for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet talking about Christ and and one of the things I do love about Greek and I'm thankful I've had the opportunity to learn a bit about it but anyone can learn this doesn't make me special. Plenty of tools out there. But that word reign is not future. It is now active. Jesus is in the business right now of reigning until the point where every enemy, and and the passage goes on, the last enemy is death. The final consummation of his work will be the resurrection of the dead and the judgment of all. Again, massive branch of sermon topics over there. So we need to, we need to correct then our view of what it means to be someone who rules, someone who actually carries authority under Christ who actually walks in authority, who actually has the power of the Spirit in our life. What did Jesus say to his disciples when they were trying to figure this out? Because they were getting some a couple of times, getting a bit big in their boots. We are Jesus' special crew, especially James and John. These two brothers that he nicknamed them the loud ones. Sons of Thunder. That was his special nickname for James and John. And, and they thought it was going to be cool because in heaven they would get to sit next to Jesus. And they actually said, can we actually have a seat either side? And what was Jesus' response in Mark chapter 10? Because this, this was a team issue now because people were getting upset. This was not cool. 
They were, they were not being team players, really, were they? I mean, let's think about it, right? There's 12 guys there. They've all been journeying. They've all been on the road with Jesus. They all left everything behind to follow him. What makes James and John think they're anything above the other guys? And yet here they are making this flipping cheeky request. Like, I don't know, that's wild. But it obviously caused division. The other ten were like, what the heck? That is not cool. Not cool at all. And so Jesus calls them together. And he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. They use force. The world runs by force, Jesus says. By the exertion of pressure. Coercion. Do this or else. And that can be done with a nice smile on the face. But it's still the way the world runs. Do this or else. If you don't do what I say, then you no longer have a job. Maybe. What's Jesus' response? Not so with you. Not so with you. That is not how this works. Jesus' own reign his own authority and exercise of power out of anyone. Anyone. The Son of God over all creation that was before all things, through whom all things were made. If there is anyone with the right to use force, it is him. If there is anyone with the right to demand obedience, it is him. But what does he do? Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. That is the key to how we become a river in the desert. Not in our own strength, but under him. Because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our lives, we get to live this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is how we become a shadow of the great rock. That we walk in his path and in his image as those who exercise authority. We do have authority. How else could Paul say from a position of having been imprisoned, beaten, had every abuse to the point of death? He claims to have taken, was it like the 39 lashes or whatever, several times. There's, there's a big list in one of the letters might be Second Corinthians, something like that. And he's actually talking about his journey. And yet, how else could he say, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors? 
Through him who loved us. Not because I'm great. He says, I'm weak. I'm pathetic. But because of him who loved us, I'm convinced that neither life nor death, angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, nothing the world can throw at us. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is how we get to become the ones Jesus talked about when he said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So we must ask ourselves, What does this mean for me personally? Because I can't tell you where you're at on that journey. I can look at you and imagine all kinds of things. If God gives me a word of knowledge, I'll hopefully be obedient and speak it out. But generally speaking, though, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. To you. About what it means right now for you to come to Jesus and drink. To receive from him what the Holy Spirit wants to do and wants to give you. Drinking physical water rejuvenates and fuels your physical body. We need to drink every day, all the time. That's why Paul says, be being filled with the Spirit. Because Just as with water, with physical water, we can't stop drinking. We must continue. Otherwise, life is real short. So we must drink spiritual water to be strengthened and rejuvenated in our spirit. Yeah. So are you weary in your heart? I'm just going to ask Aaron and the guys to get up. I, just, I did want to finish with a... That we'll have a song. But the song is not just so that we can have a nice song at the end. It's a chance for us to ask, Lord, show me what it means right now for me to drink from you. Jesus, I'm here. I want to drink and let him. Let him actually flow the spirit into you. Let him give you a fresh infilling. You might want to find a patch of carpet. You might want to just sit. You might want to stand and raise your hands. But I think response looks like something, not to me, to him. To him. Maybe make that a prayer that we would be a shelter from the storm. Maybe you're in a place where actually what you need right now is the shelter. Maybe that's the application for you. Because we all start somewhere on this journey. And we don't arrive. You know, there is absolutely times when our own thirst drives us back to him for our sake. 
But if we're only ever for our sake, we're missing it. We're missing what it means to be one of God's appointed rulers, a person carrying his authority and position for the sake of this world, for his glory, not for ours. Amen. Lord, would you just really give us revelation, God, personal revelation from you right now. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. Your presence is here to minister to us and to empower us, to equip us, God, for work of ministry, that we would be people equipped by you to actually carry the gospel. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Aaron.